weird. But why? Weird in mind. Part one. It's part one. See you next week. Alright, welcome to church today. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor and that cute kid was my son. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, um, he did our promo video for this series and it has almost 500 likes on Facebook. And so he's going to be doing all of our promo videos from now on. <laughs> he actually gets people to watch them, which is... <laughs> We are jumping into a new series this week, and uh, it's called Weird and Why, Discovering the Why Behind the Weird. And how this series came up uh, several years ago, my wife and I, we were eating dinner uh, with uh, someone that she used to work with uh, from California, and uh, we were having a very interesting conversation with him. Uh, he described his uh, religious views uh, as a spiritual guru. And uh, I asked him, um, what is that? He said, well, um, I teach yoga. And then after yoga, um, we sit in a, in a circle, um, and, and I drink cognac and smoke a cigar and give harsh advice to people. <laughs> I don't know. So, okay, great. And so we're having this uh, great conversation, and uh, he just makes this statement uh, that kind of uh, set me aback. He says, um, so you believe God sent his only son, who is also God, into a teenage virgin. Then she gives birth to God in a barn or a stable. And then he's raised as a carpenter. I said, yeah, and we also believe that Jesus is coming back for us on a horse. <laughs> you want to come to church this Sunday? <laughs> But for me, man, I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school three times a week and, and, and went to a Christian university. Even though I was partying and doing drugs and doing all those kinds of things, I was still uh, in that church bubble. And, and I had never really stepped outside of that bubble to see what uh, other people think about what we believe. And so uh, I just feel that it's important that we are able to answer the why behind the weird. And so, um, man, there's a lot of weird things uh, in Christianity, and this will probably become an annual thing. We'll probably do this series every year. Pastor uh, Orion was giving me some other weird things, and I'm like, oh man, we've got to do this every year. Uh, this is only going to be a three-part series, uh, because I didn't want to smash everything into a three-part series. We're just going to take a couple subjects, and we're really going to dive into them, all right? Awesome. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I thank you for every person here today, God. God, I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for us, God. God, I thank you for your grace that empowers us to live the life that you've created us to live, Father. Father, I just pray that every heart and mind would be open to the understanding of your word today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen. So here is the weird statement. Here's the weird statement this morning. We base our lives, the way we live, off of a book that's 2,000 years old. Pretty weird. 2,000 year old book. We live our life based on this book. And so why do we do that? And so I'm going to use 
scripture to prove. But I've got some great evidence this morning. I've got some scientific evidence. I've got some archaeology evidence. I've got some history evidence today. But just stick with me this morning as I use scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And so the Bible teaches us how to live. That's why God wrote it. He wrote it for us to teach us how to live, to, to give us basically a moral compass to, to guide us. Second Peter 1, 20 uh, through 21, and we have to believe this. As Christians, we have to believe uh, this, this scripture. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy, basically when, when that word prophecy is used, it's basically uh, just a prediction, a prediction that uh, a prophet had made uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that's either come true or waiting to be fulfilled. And so that word prophecy is really just the word uh, prediction. You must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And so many people ask this question, how can a bunch of fallible men write an infallible book? How can a bunch of imperfect guys write a perfect book? Well, how they how they did that was because, yes, it was their hand that was doing the writing. Yes, it was their hand that was holding the pen or whatever else they were uh, using uh, to write words. But the Holy Spirit was the one that was inspiring them to write those letters. God wrote the book of the Bible, books of the Bible, through these men uh, using the Holy Spirit. And so now we have to believe that this morning. And so, all right, let's get into some evidence. Let's get into some hardcore evidence this morning why this, this 2,000-year-old book is perfect and was written for us today. Uh, evidence. Think about this for a moment. Uh, the book, the Bible, is, is written by 40 different authors and has 66 books. Can you imagine? And it was written over a 2,000-year period. Can you imagine getting 40 authors to write anything that makes sense together? Could you imagine, and especially over a 2,000-year uh, time period? I mean, could you imagine if the subject was the world, and you had different authors at different time periods writing about the world? There would be whole books uh, written about the world that stated that I believe the world is 100% flat. And you, you can get in a boat, and you can drive right off of it. The Bible is so perfectly put together. It has a beginning. It has an end. It's completely concise and perfectly put together. And it was written over a 2,000 year period, 66 books, 40 authors. 1,239 prophecies, predictions are in the Old Testament alone. 578 prophecies are in the New Testament for a total of 1,817 prophecies, predictions. Uh, most scholars uh, will tell you around 12 to 1,300 of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. These predictions have already come true. Jesus himself has fulfilled over 300 of these. Jesus himself has already fulfilled 300 
of these. One of the most famous books of prophecy, one of the most famous books of predictions is the book of Daniel, because Daniel predicted famines. Daniel predicted wars. Daniel predicted whole kingdoms in the year that they would be destroyed. And one of the people in history that has been very uh, interested in the book of Daniel is a guy by the name of Sir Isaac Newton. Maybe you guys have heard of him. One of our greatest minds of all time. Um, let, let, me, uh, let me tell you one of the things, a couple things that he discovered. Uh, he was one of our greatest physicists and mathematicians of all time. He came up with three laws of motion. Law of gravity and the mathematics of calculus. And so those of you that help hate calculus, you can blame Sir Isaac Newton for that because he came up with that math. So this guy is a brilliant mind. But one of the things that he was drawn to was the book of Daniel because of all of the predictions and because all of the dates and the years and the time that it is in the book of Daniel. And you can actually go and Google this and you can look up his research, uh, Isaac Newton's research on the book of Daniel. But after he got done picking apart the book of Daniel, studying it with this with his math brain, uh, he, this is the statement that he makes about the book of Daniel. He says, uh, there is no historical record so complete and none so concise and comprehensive as that given by Daniel. No single writer has related so many circumstances in such an exact order of time as Daniel foretold them. He, he, even in prophecy, even in his prediction, is more perfect than any single historical account, Greek, Roman, or Jewish. This is Sir Isaac Newton stating this, a guy who is a mathematician, stating that, man, this book is better than a history book. It is more concise and more accurate than someone recording history. Uh, and so, man, that is so amazing. Man, this, the, the gift of prophecy uh, that God gave these men was so accurate, and that proves that God gave it to these men. And so I wanted to do something this morning. I wanted to take one uh, obscure prophecy from the Old Testament, um, man, and this is awesome, and just kind of go through it together this morning uh, and just kind of unpack it today. And so Isaiah 27, uh, 6 is the prophecy, the prediction that I picked this morning, which was written 700 years before Christ, 700 years before Christ, just to give you a time range. And this is the, the passage here, Isaiah 27, 6. The time is coming when Jacob's descendants will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the whole earth with fruit. So let's take it from uh, uh, let's take it from a twofold principle. Let's take it from uh, uh, the context of spiritual, uh, spiritual prophecy, spiritual prediction, and let's take it from a physical because. This prophecy is from God, and so it should be able to do, to do both, okay? And so let's take it from a spiritual context. A spiritual context, well, all of Christianity came out of Israel. Jesus came from Israel, and so whoever, anybody that is a Christian, part of the 3 billion, 3.2 billion Christians that are on the earth have come from Israel. Jesus makes a statement all throughout the Gospels. He says, by your fruit, you will know them. Well, 
Fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, 5, when we're Christians, we produce fruit. And so what Isaiah is saying uh, 2,700 years ago is he's saying that uh, I, the country of Israel, Israel will produce Christians all over the world. Well, I think that prophecy in the spiritual context has come true. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's look at the physical. Let's look at it from an, a physical aspect. Has this prophecy been fulfilled? Is, is Israel producing fruit all over the world? And this morning, I wanted to show you a picture uh, of Israel. Go ahead, Jason. This is what 80% of Israel's land looks like. That doesn't look like Iowa farm country. You know what I'm saying? I mean, only 20% of the land area is naturally arable, which... Uh, basically means is actually uh, usable to grow stuff on it. So this is from Wikipedia. This is not from a Christian website. This is straight out of Wikipedia. Wikipedia says this about Israel. Israel is one of the world's leading fresh citrus producers and exporters, including oranges, grapefruit, tangerines, the, the pomelite, a hybrid of a grapefruit, and a pomolo, developed in Israel. I mean, they're making their own fruit up. I mean, <laughs> more than 40 types of fruit are grown in Israel. Israel is the leading producer of loquat. Whatever a loquat is, they lead in it, <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, those stats are awesome, but it gets even better. It gets even better. In 1973, two uh, Israeli uh, scientists, I'm not going to say their name because it's hard, uh, <laughs> developed a variety of tomato with slower ripening than ordinary tomatoes in a hot climate. Their research led to the development of the world's first long shelf life commercial tomato. This discovery transformed agriculture, economics in Israel, promoting, promoting the export of vegetable seeds and the, and the move to high-tech farming. It also had a global impact, enabling large-scale production through the prevention of spoilage. Previously, farmers were forced to discard 40% of their produce. Because of uh, these scientists, these tomato seeds, these tomato seeds are shipped all over the world and used in almost every grocery store uh, because of the shelf life uh, that these tomatoes have. Now, the US, U.S. Supreme Court calls a tomato a vegetable, but it's not a vegetable. I don't care what the U.S. Supreme Court says. Uh, science would say that a tomato is a fruit. <laughs> So not only has this obscure prophecy, this prediction by uh, the prophet uh, Isaiah come true in a spiritual context, it's also come true in a physical context. All right, let's talk about some archaeology evidence this morning. And I got a couple pictures for us this morning. If you could put up uh, the first picture. This is uh, Capernaum. These are the ruins of Capernaum that uh, they just found probably 30 or 40 years ago. And why is this discovery important? It's important because Capernaum was a town in Galilee, which was Jesus' hometown. Why is that important? It's important because we can prove that it was a real place that the Bible described. And so here are the ruins here of a city called Capernaum where Jesus lived and was raised. Go ahead to the next one. This is the town of Magdala, 
uh, where Mar Mary Magdalene, one of uh, Jesus' famous uh, disciples who uh, financially uh, who financially supported Jesus' ministry. Uh, these are the ruins uh, of her hometown. Um, and, and why this is important is because they can trace back this time period of when Jesus lived, when uh, this woman named Mary Magdalene lived to these places. And that's why it's important is because these were these were fictional places that the Bible is making up. This is a real place. We have we have evidence uh, of these places. And go ahead and flip to the last one. This is my favorite one. This is the southern gate where King David lived and fought uh, Goliath. Um, this right here um, is basically this architecture is specific to King David and King Solomon. They're the only ones that had these double gates uh, into their palaces. Uh, they have this double gate architecture, and this was just found over the last 30 years. And most scholars and, and historians would, would say that behind these gates, that field right there is where David defeated Goliath. And for me, that makes a lot, a lot of sense that you would build your palace overseeing your greatest victory. That's awesome. Right? That David could come out every day on his porch and look over that field and be reminded of his greatest uh, his greatest victory over Goliath. And so uh, there are the ruins. And so there are the, that, those are the facts, guys. These are real places. And they can, man, using uh, archaeology, they can, they can pinpoint the time when King David and King Solomon uh, lived according to these artifacts. Let's look at Dr. Nelson Gluick. He is uh, one of the uh, greatest modern authorities on Israel archaeology. And this is what he says. This is what he says. No archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. That's a pretty strong stance on the Bible. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. So basically what he's saying is if, uh, if we just read this book, we're going to discover a lot of great things. Yes. That everything uh, that we want to discover, all of these historic landmarks that we, we are uh, trying to find, uh, this, this doctor is saying, hey, if you guys would just open up the Bible and start to study it, man, it will lead you right to these great discoveries. All right, so let's go to science. What does science say about the Bible? Uh, another striking evidence of divine inspiration is found in the fact that many of the principles of modern science were recorded as facts of nature in the Bible long before science confirmed them experimentally. And I'm just going to go through a few uh, of these this morning. Uh, roundness of the earth, Isaiah 40, 22. Uh, almost infinite extent of the side real universe, Isaiah 55, 9. Law of conservation of mass and energy, 2 Peter 3, 7. Hydraulic cycles, uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 7. Vast number of stars, Jeremiah 33, 22. Law of increasing entropy, Psalms 102, 25 through 27. Paramount importance of blood and life processes, 
Leviticus 17.11, atmospheric circulation, Ecclesiastes 1.6, gravitational field, Job 26.7. Listen, there is no other book like this on the planet. There's nothing that even comes close to this book. It's been written, inspired by God. It is the infallible word of God, written for you and me. It was written for you and me. Uh, over 6 billion, between 6 billion to 7 billion copies of the Bible have been printed. No other book is even close. 450 million copies of the Bible are sold every single year. And here's the deal. It's not even close to, to anything else. It's not even close. Harry Potter is not selling that much. You know, Lord of the Rings isn't selling that much. It's not even close. And here's the thing. There's no marketing campaign. There's no clever commercials trying to get you to buy Bibles. You know, there's no, there's not cheesy, you know, TV spots of people. Hey, you need to buy this Bible. None of it. In our culture, that is, man, we, I mean, people pay $3 million. Companies pay $3 million to have a 37, 30 second spot in the Super Bowl just to get in front of millions of people. The Bible has none of that, yet it still outsells every single book every year. In China, they have this book called The Little, the Little Red Book, uh, Sayings of Chairman uh, Mao, uh, and they, they would like to, to say that it's, it competes with the Bible. Um, the facts of, of how many have been printed and sold are uh, the, the range is so big. It's from 900 million to 6 billion is what they're stating. I mean, that is a huge, huge range of 5 billion. Um, but anyway, in China, by law, you have to have a little red book in your home. By law, every household has to have a little red book. And guess what? The Chinese government checks. They will check your house randomly. And if you don't have a little red book, they penalize you. They penalize you. Never in history has the Bible ever been demand that you, you buy one, demand that you have one. Yet it still is the number one book in the world. The thing about China is uh, the Bible for a really long time was illegal. The Bible, for a really long time, if you were caught with the Bible, uh, you would be severely punished, um, and they would definitely confiscate uh, that Bible and, and destroy it because they didn't want uh, Bibles spread in, in their country because China is a very uh, communist country. They like to control everything, and they certainly don't uh, want a bunch of Bibles talking about free will and, and freedom and, and uh and Jesus and the things that Jesus brings. And so, man, uh, Christianity uh, has been suppressed in China for a really long time. Uh, but what's been happening over uh, the last several years is this, this book, 75 to 100 million 
copies of this book have been smuggled into China every year. It's illegal. You can get killed for smuggling a certain amount of, of, of Bibles into China. Yet people are giving their life for this book. I don't know anybody who's giving up their life to smuggle a copy of Harry Potter into China. Nothing against Harry, but... <laughs> I've got a pastor friend who's telling me uh, he, uh, a couple weeks ago, he went to India. And uh, every year they go to these uh, trips to India. And they go to these remote places where nobody has been. Uh, at Christianity, had, they don't even know the name of Jesus. And they go to these remote places in India, way out in the middle of the jungle. And they, they hook up with these, these tribes, uh, tribes of about two to 300 uh, people, never have heard uh, the gospel uh, at all, have never read a Bible uh, before. And they stay there for like two, two to three weeks. Um, they, they, they raise up somebody there. They actually convert somebody there and, and train them. And uh, they go back every single year to these different tribes, and then they hit another uh tribe and what they do is they translate the bible they translate the bible into whatever language that they speak and they and the next year they bring a whole mess of bibles uh, so they can read them their, their self, themselves every single year they go back every single person in these tribes has been converted to christianity and it's because of this book. He said every year they go back and they reach another tribe. And it's because they get this in their hands. And they translate it into their language. And they begin to open it up. And they begin to read it. And it's they have no other outside influences. They're just opening up the Bible. They're reading it. And they believe what it says. Amen. And it's transforming their tribes. The way they live. The way they interact with each other. And he says, they're building churches. These, these tribes are building churches. And a pastor, a local pastor in these, these tribes, these, these tribes that, that have never seen a white person. He said he, he got up there for the first time to speak. And he said, welcome. Thanks for having me. And everybody started to laugh. And he looks over at the translator. He's like, what's going on? He's like, they've never heard a white guy speak before. <laughs> so they think you're hilarious. <laughs> There's nothing like this book that cuts through cultural barriers. It's because it is the living book of God. It is the infallible word. It's the only book on the planet where people will die smuggling into places that are illegal. And this is what's happened to China. This is what's happened to China over the last couple years. Uh, the Chinese government has gotten together and they're like, man, we can't stop this thing. We can't stop people from bringing the Bible in. This last year, they've had 100 million Bibles smuggled in. And so what they've decided to do over the last couple years is like, we can't stop this movement of God. We can't stop this movement of, of people demanding uh, the word of God. Because that's why the, the Bible is being smuggled in there. It's because the, the Chinese people, they're hungry. Not for the, the little red book. They're hungry for the word of God. They're hungry for something that will actually transform their lives, that will actually give them nourishment, that can actually teach them how to live. 
And so over the last couple of years, uh, the Chinese government has made Bibles legal. Come on. Bibles are now legal in China, but now they've restricted how many can come in. Because they're like, no, we can't. If we keep this thing illegal, they're, they're just going to keep bringing them in. And so finally he said, okay, Bibles are legal. You can only bring in 50 million copies. <laughs> 50 million copies. And you can have a Bible now in China. And you can read it in, in the open uh, public and not uh, get punished. Come on, that is God. A place that says we don't want God in our country. A place that is so restrictive. A communist country that, that doesn't even allow churches in the open. Their underground church is growing faster than any church in the whole world. You can't stop the word of God. Where's my Bible? You can't stop the word of God. It's because it's powerful. People will die for this thing. And here in America, man, we take, now we take that, we don't take it as serious as other people do. Did you know 88% of people in America have at least one Bible in their home? 88%. And the majority of of people in America have up to four Bibles in their homes. Four Bibles. People are dying for this thing. But we have four sitting on the shelves collecting dust. This is the infallible word of God. I love this passage here in Mark 15, 31. The heaven, the heaven and the earth shall pass away. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, but my words shall never pass away man when we leave this earth when we pass away guess what this book will still be doing work this book will still be transforming lives and changing people teaching people how to live saving whole villages come on this is the living word of god man let's take advantage of what god has given us this country that was founded on our country was founded on worshiping god freely people sacrificed their lives people decided to give up everything to come to this new world to do what to be able to worship god freely man we are a blessed nation that we can have four or five different translations sitting on our shelves yet many of us disregard it many of us say yeah I'm too busy. I've got three shows recorded on my DVR, you know. I'll get to my Bible reading later. Gosh, we need to start putting, making this a priority in our lives. Even for 10, 15 minutes a day, this book will transform our lives. It is the infallible book of God. Science has proved it. History has proved it. These predictions that, that, that these Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets have, have, have spoken are true. This is the infallible word of God. A bunch of imperfect guys wrote a perfect book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you guys. Understand what we have at our disposal. That we have the greatest gift. We have the greatest tool. God left us with an incredible handbook, an incredible compass to lead our lives. Let's not disregard it. Come on, let's make it a priority 
in our days. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just go ahead and bow our heads and, and close our eyes this morning. Man, as this is really the most important part of our, our service this morning, as we, and as we respond to what God has been, been speaking to us over the last 30 minutes, maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I've never said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you've drifted away from God and, and life has just kind of consumed you. And today's the day that you want to say yes to Jesus. Today's the day that you want everything to change. And if that's you this morning, I just ask that you just slip up a hand. All eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Just slip up a hand real quick. I just want to pray with you. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, you can put your hands down. Thank you, God. Yes, thank you. I would just ask that everyone here this morning, as we would repeat this prayer, helping those making the greatest decision of their life today. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sin. And I ask this morning that you would come into my life. You be my Lord and King. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's go to Thank you so much for staying connected to Passionate Life Church. If you'd like more information, you can email us at passionatelifechurch at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, or share this with a friend. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.